And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Well, it's Jesus' lesson on prayer that we're going to be looking at over these next few weeks. Uh, Our Bible reading next week will be the same as this week, and it'll be the same the week after as well. So I suppose if we're looking at prayer, probably an obvious question to start with is... How's your prayer life? What words would you use to describe your prayer life? Would it be vibrant, adequate, lively, habitual, regimented, regular, erratic, routine, deficient, monotonous, lacking, disciplined, inconsistent? Important? Any of those words cover it for you and your prayer life? I mean, how often do you pray? Would you pray every day? Would you pray once a week? And when you pray, what kind of things do you pray for? I mean, is your prayer life a little bit like a shopping list where it's just a bunch of things that you're wanting God to do for you? Do you pray the same things over and over again? Do you thank God when you pray? Now, I don't think anyone's going to argue that prayer is an important part of the Christian life, and it's not hard to see why prayer is an important part of the Christian life. See, if being a Christian is about having a personal relationship with God, then prayer has got to be a vital part of that relationship. I mean, all relationship counsellors will tell you that the most important thing in a marriage relationship is communication. You've got to keep talking. You've got to make sure that communication is there. And the Christian life is about knowing God personally. See, being a Christian is not a matter of knowing about God. It's not having some abstract knowledge of some distant deity. It's not intellectual assent to a few propositions about God. Being a Christian is knowing God personally. Jesus says in John chapter 17 verse 3, Now this is life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you have sent. So prayer has got to be an important part of that relationship. Now, as I said, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at what we traditionally call the Lord's Prayer. Although, I've got to say, I don't think that's the best name for it. 
I think that Jesus would prefer that we called it his model for prayer. Because I don't think Jesus intended it to be these exact words that we prayed all the time. The model for prayer appears twice in the Gospels. It appears in Luke's Gospel and in Matthew's Gospel. But this is how Jesus introduces it in Luke's Gospel. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Teach us to pray. Now, I think there are two reasons why they've actually made this request to Jesus. First of all, they've seen that Jesus values prayer. The disciples had no doubt seen that it was a priority for Jesus in his life, that he placed great importance on prayer. There are numerous occasions in the Gospels where we hear that Jesus went off to pray. So here is Jesus, the one who is God, and he thinks prayer is important. So how much more important should we think prayer is? The disciples wanted to know how to pray and they've asked Jesus to teach them. But I think there's a second reason that they've actually asked Jesus to teach them. They knew that prayer wasn't easy. Did you know that this is the only time in the Gospels when the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them anything? This is the only time that they have gone to Jesus and said, teach us how to. They never say, teach us how to evangelise or teach us how to baptise or teach us how to heal or to cast out demons. They never say, teach us to be better parents. This is the only class that they ever signed up for. The only thing they ever asked Jesus to teach them. And I think it's because prayer isn't easy. Or maybe I should rephrase that. Prayer isn't easy for me. And I'm guessing that it wasn't easy for the disciples either. I often find it hard to get started because I can always think of other things that I should be doing. And sadly, once I have started, I get very easily distracted by other things. I find it hard to be regular and consistent. I often wonder what I should be praying for. But I know it's important. So let's get back to Matthew's lesson, Matthew chapter 6. I hope you've got a Bible open there as we look through these opening verses. It's really just the introduction to the prayer that we're going to be looking at this morning. Now these words appear right in the middle of Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. Three whole chapters, 5, 6 and 7, where Jesus is teaching. Jesus is talking with his disciples about the radical nature of the kingdom that he has come to bring in. And in the first half of chapter 6, he's talking about what the attitude is that we should have in our Christian lives as followers of him. And right at the beginning of chapter 6, verse number 1, there's kind of a summary statement that sums up everything that he's going to say in these next 15 verses. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Don't do godly things to just impress the people around you. If you do, God's not impressed. That's what Jesus is saying. And he gives these three examples of giving to the needy, prayer and fasting and he shows how you can actually do each of those things for the wrong motive 
It's extraordinary, isn't it, that Jesus criticises people who are giving to the needy, criticises people who pray, because they're doing it with the wrong attitude. And with each of these examples, he talks about how the hypocrites do it, and then he talks about how his disciples ought to do it. But when he looks at prayer, that he gives a little more of an explanation. Verse number five. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. Back in Jesus' day, men prayed during their meetings in the synagogue. And I'm sure that there must have been a, a little temptation there to try to impress the audience with this prayer that you've put together. Uh, I mean, try and pray a little better than the guy who prayed last week. Pray so that people will say, wow, that was, uh, that was quite a prayer you prayed in there. But it's not just a first century problem, is it? I'm sure it's still a problem today. When you pray in public, it can be very tempting to to pray to the audience. Uh, Don Carson tells a story about a preacher in in a church in Boston, uh, and he he, he, uh, he, uh, prayed during the church service, and the minister of the church afterwards uh, wrote about it and said that it was the most eloquent prayer ever offered to a Boston audience. Now, I'm not sure whether or not that was a criticism or a compliment. I mean, shouldn't he have been praying to God, not to the Boston audience? But I'm sure you've had that experience, that you've been at a prayer meeting or some church activity where you you really had the feeling that this person who's praying, they're doing it for our benefit. They're really not talking to God. They're trying to impress us with the things that they're saying. Sometimes... It's because you can hear that they've moved into the I'm talking to God now voice. Or they're using different language to the language that they would normally use. Or they're using this opportunity in public to be able to tell everyone what they know about this particular subject. Or they're using the prayer to draw attention to themselves. Well, we need to make sure that we don't do that. That we're not motivated by praying to the audience, but by praying to our Father in heaven. Jesus says that his disciples ought to pray like this. Verse number six. When you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Some people have thought that Jesus might be actually prohibiting public prayer in what he's saying here, but I I think that might be misunderstanding what Jesus says. I think he's using hyperbole here to, to say... There are people who want to stand on the street corners and pray so that people will be impressed by them. But when you pray, how about you don't do that? How about you make it a thing between you and God? Hypocrites pray to be seen by others. Disciples of Jesus pray to be heard by God. Jesus isn't saying that you should only pray in private. I mean, Jesus prayed himself publicly. You reach the book of Acts and you find the disciples there praying publicly as well. And even this prayer, did you notice the opening words of the prayer itself? It's our Father in heaven, not my Father in heaven. It's intended as a corporate thing, as a public thing. The point Jesus is making is that our prayer needs to be to our Father who is in heaven. It's a conversation with him. 
And it's a good thing for others to be able to join that conversation, to be able to give their amen at the end of that prayer. So first of all, don't pray like hypocrites. And then Jesus says, don't pray like pagans. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. I have to say, I feel that there's a little small sense of irony here that Jesus says that we're not to to babble like pagans and and what follows is the prayer that's probably been babbled more than any prayer in the history of the Christian church. I grew up in a church where this prayer was babbled or, or better still mumbled every single Sunday. Each week people would mumble their way through the words of this prayer and you had the impression that it was just mouthing a bunch of words. They said it every week. It was as though it was some kind of magic spell that if you said exactly these words, then something might happen. And there are plenty of religions, as Jesus says, where people think that they will be heard because of their many words. And sometimes Christians are sadly tempted to admire those practices, uh, to think that that's great devotion that they've shown there, to admire the persistence of those people. But in the end, I think Jesus is right. With many of those practices, it's just babbling. We need to be clear about this. God does not hear us because of the number of our words. He doesn't hear us because of the length of our prayer. He doesn't hear us because of the hour at which we prayed. Prayer is not some mechanism by which you can switch on and off what God will do for you. We had Rowan Butler here at church last year. Uh, Rowan works as a missionary in Nepal. Uh, I'm not sure whether or not you saw this, but he brought along a prayer wheel. Uh, There's a whole variety of different forms that these wheels come in, but you find them right throughout Nepal. Uh, There's a prayer written around the edge of the wheel and you hold the handle and spin the wheel and every time the wheel spins around, that prayer is being shot off up into the heavens. Um, Some of the temples have wheels where you can walk along and spin all of the wheels and and a prayer is shot off with every one of those spins or some people have connected them to a little uh, mountain stream so that the water turns the wheel so the wheel keeps spinning off those prayers the prayers are also written on those flags so every time they flutter a prayer is sent off this is what one tibetan lama actually said just touching and turning A prayer wheel brings incredible purification and accumulates unbelievable merit. Every time this wheel spins around, this mantra, this prayer is spun off. Spin it hundreds of times and, well, it's got to bring about great merit, hasn't it? This is one that really caught my attention on the internet. Um, This is a hard drive. Uh, from a computer, uh, it spins around at around about 7,000 revolutions per minute. Uh, and this is what somebody else said. Now, uh, please remember, this is approved by a Tibetan Lama. To set your own prayer wheel in motion, all you have to do is download the mantra onto your computer's hard disk. Once downloaded, your hard disk will spin the mantra for you. Nowadays, hard disks spin their disks somewhere between 3,600 and 7,200 revolutions per minute at a typical rate of 5,400 RPM. Given those rotation speeds, you'll soon be purifying loads of negative karma. Now, 
It sounds a little silly and a little childish, doesn't it? But I often wonder whether or not what we do might be just as childish. Let let me give you a little test to see how pagan your thinking might be about prayer. Do you think that God is more likely to hear your prayers if you pray for two hours rather than ten minutes? Do you think that God is more likely to hear your prayers because of the godliness of your life? Do you think that God is more likely to hear your prayers if you say exactly the words of the Lord's Prayer? Can I suggest that if you said yes to any of those, well, there's a little bit of pagan thinking going on in your mind there. Let me ask you another question. Why do you think God hears you when you pray? So there's really only one answer to that question. And the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the one who makes it possible for us to have a relationship with God. Jesus is the one who makes it possible for us to know God personally. And Jesus is the one who the Bible says intercedes for us. Jesus has made it possible for us to come to God in prayer. Prayer is not some mechanism by which you can manipulate God into doing what you want. It's us talking to our Heavenly Father. And there's one reason that God hears us. And that is because of the grace that he has shown us in his Son, Jesus. Your salvation is an act of God's grace through Jesus. And God continuing to hear you, continuing to have you in this relationship is an act of his grace through Jesus. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Jesus starts this lesson on prayer by telling us, first of all, how not to pray. Don't pray like hypocrites and don't pray like pagans. Well, how should we pray? The words that Jesus gives here right at the very beginning, they're actually quite incredible. I'm not sure if you've ever really thought about this. We're tempted to really quickly gloss over them. Have a look at it. Pick it up, verse number 8. Do not be like them, that is, do not be like pagans, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Jesus says that we should use that word. We should call God our Father. That was pretty revolutionary back in Jesus' day. In fact, probably would have been considered blasphemous by most people. How could you call the almighty God and creator of all things your father? How could you call the holy, majestic, sinless God dad? Well, that's the remarkable privilege that Jesus says that we have. Through Jesus, we've entered into the family. We're part of God's family. We can call him our father. John sums it up like this in his first epistle. How great is the love that the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. That's the closeness of the relationship that we have with God. Through Jesus, we are God's children. He is our heavenly father. And more than that, did you see what Jesus said back there in verse 8? Your father knows what you need even before you ask him. 
There are some great advantages in having your office at home. I've kind of, over the years, have had my office at home sometimes and had it elsewhere at others. One of the great disadvantages of having your office at home is that your kids think that you're always there just to help them, to do everything that they want. You know, oh, Dad, could you give me a lift to uni? Um, Is there any chance you could print this off for me? Could you read through this assignment for me? It's very hard to get your work done when you have all of these interruptions. I mean, I'd love to be able to do all of those things, but, but I've got my own stuff that I need to do. Now, we shouldn't think for a minute that God is like that. We have a heavenly father who knows what we need. A little bit further on in the Sermon on the Mount, flip over to chapter 7 and find verse number 9. Look at what Jesus says here. Which of you, if your sons asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? See, that's how you should pray. Our prayer should be an expression of our relationship with God. We have a heavenly Father who loves us beyond measure, We have a heavenly father who wants us to draw near to him in prayer. We have a heavenly father who knows exactly what we need. And we have a heavenly father who wants to give good gifts to his children. We don't have to manipulate God into listening to us. We don't have to pressure God into hearing our prayers. We don't have to twist his arm to give us good things. So let me come back to the question at the beginning. How's your prayer life? More importantly, how should it be in light of what Jesus says here in this passage? So you shouldn't see it as a burden or a chore or a mechanical thing that you have to work your way through. We have to get rid of that pagan thinking. It should be communication between you and your Heavenly Father. A Heavenly Father who knows what you need even before you ask Him. A Heavenly Father who wants you to speak to Him. A Heavenly Father who loves to give good gifts to those who ask.